On this episode of Sega Talk, we dive into the world of Japan's Walt Disney, Osama Tezuko, cover the history of Tezuko Productions, and talk about Astro Boy Omega Factor, which is considered the best Astro Boy game ever created. All this and more on this episode of Sega Talk. SegaBits presents Sega Talk, a podcast talking all things with your hosts, George and Barry. Look, it's a giant talking egg. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the master here. So what's Hello, and welcome to Sega Talk number 85. I'm your Android host. George Adam, and with me is Buzzin' Barry. Hello. This is the part where you say hi. Hi. <laughs> uh, today we are doing a Patreon pick. Uh, if you didn't know, with the Android talk and the Buzzin' Barry, uh, we're doing Astro Boy Omega Factor. But before we get into it, uh, we kind of want to talk about some changes we did to Patreon and uh, read the memories of the person that picked it on Patreon. I only saw this on the calendar so i guess this will be a surprise to me oh okay who who picked this this is a surprise to me too i i did i thought this was a pick from you for oh, sure i i guess we did let me let me look it up real quick alex huge oh it was him okay so he picked it but i don't know did he put a message when i put the memories messages he so did. Yes. I guess he, he. So if you pick a game, which is a twenty dollars tier in our Patreon, you get your memories read before we start the show. So I'll let uh, Barry do that, and then he could tell us about the Patreon changes. All right, you got it. So Alex said, "When I was eleven, my cousin Matthew had a copy of the game in his collection of GBA games, which." Just an aside from me, that's like a, a tub of like little chips, basically. You rattle it around. That's a collection of GBA games in my mind. Um, and at the time, I have not yet watched Astro Boy, but knew the character from promotional material and also the toy line based off of the 2003 anime. I was curious what the game was like, so I popped the game into my GBA SP and was blown away. It was like Mega Man on steroids, and each time I went to visit my cousins from time to time during that year, I would always find myself back to playing the game. Years later in high school, I decided to give the 80s Astro Boy anime a watch, and it reminded me of the Omega Factor, so I desperately tried to track down a copy for a total of four years, up until 2018 when a store in Ann Arbor called um, We Got Your Game In and what did I find? Not just a copy of Astro Boy The Omega Factor but a boxed copy for $54 and I did not care how expensive it was. I needed it so now I happily have one of the games that defied defined my middle school year in the box. Sadly the store I got it from shut down but man I was lucky to get it before that happened. It's definitely somewhere on my top 10 GBA games of all time. Wow, that's special. I I had no idea that this was... Again, you you know, you throw these picks at me, and I'm thinking, George is just picking something easy. But it's a a Patreon pick. And, um, yeah, and like you mentioned, so at the uh, Sega Saturn level, we call it, the $20 per month tier... 
um, yeah, you get to pick the show. You get to dictate the show. Um, we really uh, put all of our $20 tier guys to task, and they have really given us a solid lineup for the first few months of 2022. Oh, yeah. um, so I'm really excited and kind of scared <laughs> to cover some of the picks. But, you know, whatever you guys pick, uh, we do our best to uh, give you a show. And so about those tiers, yeah, we're just kind of mixing things up a little bit. I'll briefly talk about it before we get into the show. Um, but the tiers we have now moving forward are very similar to what we had before, but there's actually more incentive and more things you get, more bang for your buck. So the dollar tier, the master system tier, uh, that was just kind of a thank you, but now it's a thank you and then some. So you will get the Sega Talk audio podcast four days early and you will be the first to know about uh, upcoming live shows. Um, as a loyal member of Patreon, you will also receive memory priority for both the Swing and Report show and Sega Talk. And um, also everyone who backs us on Patreon will receive a physically mailed or digital uh, holiday card. So this year's, it's going to come... It's going to be more of a New Year's card. I want to take a little more time on it. So it's probably going to come late January. And so based on your region and provided address, um, you will receive it either digitally or physically. Uh, $5, the Mega Drive. This one gets you the Sega Talk video podcast four days early. Mega CD um, is the $10 one. This gets you the prior rewards plus Sega Talk memories baby may be submitted as an audio recording. That's something new that we'll play at the end of the show, but it has to be under two minutes because we don't want to yeah. go too long. Um, and your name will be shown at the end of each Sega Talk. Uh, Sega Saturn tier, the $20 a month. You get all the prior ones and you pick our Sega Talk episodes. You get one pick per month. Dreamcast, that's our $30 tier. You get all the prior rewards, plus you get to join me or George, depending on who's hosting, but typically it's me on these live shows, um, for a Sega News Bits live or Swing and Report show live segment. So you can call in. Uh, we'll chat for a bit about news or a topic you want to discuss, and you can have uh, one appearance per month on one of those two shows. And then finally, at the $60 tier, it's the Segata Sanshiro tier. And this is the um, the one that lets you promote your site, product, or social media account of your choice. Um, and we will share that on every video that we can. And for more details on, you know, all the audience reach, like, is it worth it? It's definitely worth it. Um, you can contact us. So let's start the show. So that was boring. I mean, like, I usually hate when people, like, you know, when they start talking about Patreon. But, I mean, it is something we have to do on the show. It's not something that we enjoy doing. But let's talk about – I know I, I know love you it. love it. That's that's Barry's favorite thing. He, like, prepares everything. He does the notes on the Patreon and I do the rest. Uh, at least on this episode. But uh, what's your history with uh, Astro Boy Omega Factor – and I know you said you didn't even know this game was a treasure game or even exists, right? Like, this is one of those games that kind of skipped on you, or? Mm. So, I'm going to backtrack. I knew it was a Sega game. I think I just forgot it was a treasure game. Um, I've had the ability to play really nicely emulated GBA games for some time, like the past mm. 10 years. 
So I most definitely have played quite a bit of this game in the past. It's just I I had thought it was a Sonic Team there game, is one. but I was probably getting yeah. getting it mixed up with the console version. But yeah, and then as far as like Astro Boy itself, very little history with it. I know of Astro Boy, but I feel as though I've seen more things based on Astro Boy than Astro Boy itself, which only makes sense because it's like... I mean, how many people can say they've watched a Mickey Mouse cartoon versus all the stuff that has come from Mickey Mouse? I'm sure there's Sonic fans who, you know, are like, I love Sonic, not into Mickey. And it's like, well, without Mickey, you wouldn't have yeah, Sonic. Yeah, and not only that, I think uh, Mickey's been yeah. like, even like, if you're younger now, you probably know uh, Mickey even less. Like, you, you're probably into Disney because of Star Wars or uh, Marvel comics so or Pixar mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, mm-hmm. as for me, as for this game, it kind of skipped me by. Like, I was pretty excited that this was kind of like a resurrection of treasure on the Game Boy Advance. They had the Guardian Hero sequel and Gunstar he- Superheroes. So, like, the hype for me as a treasure fanboy, like, that that's what got my attention. And when they did licensed games like that Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. game and this one, I was like, they have to pay the bills. I didn't think they were going to be that great. But this game's actually really good and, like, it surprised me that they kind of, you know, the big we did a, we did a whole episode on super uh, uh, Gunstar superheroes, but that game was really kind of like a mini game collection where they changed up the gameplay to like pay homage to like Sega arcade games or you know what I mean. And this one, it was like it's more right. straightforward what you expect from Treasure, just like gunning, killing, but they use all the like um, they use characters as like to move the story and cameos to pay respects. So it's like a lot cheaper, but I think some fans would probably enjoy this instead of like changing the gameplay every single level like they did in Gunstar Superheroes, which was a complaint, right. but yeah. So <clears throat> let's get into it. Astro Boy Omega Factor is a Game Boy Advance beat-em-up game developed by Treasure and Hitmaker, which uh, we've talked about both in the past, and Treasure actually has quite a number of previous games we've covered including Gunstar Heroes, Gunstar Superheroes, Guardian Heroes, and Dynamite Heady, which all are worth playing. Uh, this will be the fifth treasure game we covered, and the second one exclusively on the GBA. As for Hitmaker, uh, we've discussed the developer before, and we kind of talked about how like we're not really that into the games they make because they're more racing. And I guess virtual... I mean, they made... Sega Rally Championship, uh, they made Virtual Tennis and Crazy Taxi. We actually covered Crazy Taxi on Sega mm-hmm. Talk number 12, which is a great game, obviously. When, uh, all the way back in tw- 2017, we call- we talked about Crazy Taxi. It feels like it's been a while. And there's still two more games yeah. to talk about. So <laughs> so uh, <laughs> if you look at the history of both these developers, you uh, you start seeing that like Hitmaker is more of the developer out of water as they're not really used to making these 2D type games. While this game is totally up Treasure's Alley, and obviously if you look at the uh, credits and who worked on it, it was mostly Treasure people that worked on it with Sega taking production. Kind of like Sonic Team and Dimps, you know? Um, And that's another thing Mm -hmm. I want to talk about. Um, Sega has a past with co-developing games. I think Streets of Rage 2 with Ancient is one of the biggest ones we talked about before. Uh, but there's also that long-running relationship between Sonic Team and Dimps. So, back in the day, I mean, you could use any time era, but uh, 
what companies would you dream of teaming up to make one game? Like this one had Hitmaker and Treasure. Like, is there any two oh. companies you used to dream about? Like Sonic Team and Nintendo, something crazy. I see. Hmm, that's a good one. I would probably want to see. Oh, here's a good one. I'd like to see Smilebit and Platinum Games oh, collaborate. Can you imagine like the art style and like the music with Hideki, but just like crazy that i've been playing astral chain recently and like planet game always like surprises me on, on how much stuff they like jam into the gameplay like it feels simple right like that one's like just it's one button action but somehow you have like four or five astral projections they all have their own move set and it's like oh cool so you just added a, like layers and layers and layers and it gets gets confusing sometimes and it would be amazing i agree uh that would be mm-hmm. that would be awesome i always wanted to see like um like Namco and Sega make a racing game like in the style of the old racing games from the 90s that made them popular like Ridge Racer, Daytona. But I mean that that would have to be in the 90s cuz like now Namco doesn't even care about their arcade output at all. Like I've never heard hear them mm. talk about it, you know? So yeah. that would be for but today, you know, planning games would be uh really really slick. I would also, I mean, I think fans would probably like this too, but uh, like Nintendo and Sega, I think is, I, I'm surprised they haven't done it, but Atlas has teamed up with Nintendo to do that one game, that uh, Tokyo Mirage section, Sessions. So I'm surprised. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised it never happened yet, but I guess Sega did team up with F-Zero, which we covered. Um, That's true. As you know... Astro Boy is a licensed IP by Sega, part of a deal the company made with Tezuka Productions. Sega would announce that the company's uh, the company's partnership during 2002. According to the fan page 70 Years of Kimba, Sega purchased the license all the way up to 2009. Uh, when the when they made the announcement, they said that they were going to be able to pull from any of the 700 different mangas that Tezuka Productions create uh, owns. But Sega highlighted that they wanted to make Astro Boy, Kimba the White Lion, which never happened, the Phoenix, mm. and Blackjack. Uh, Blackjack did get a, get a, a game, but it's like really underrated. No one talks about it. Um, so Astro Boy Omega Factor would be the first product released by Sega uh, to start the relationship. Other games were the Sonic Team Astro Boy game, Blood Will Tell, based on the Dororo manga. And now it was developed by Sega Wow and Red Entertainment, and the never talked oh. and the never talked about Japanese exclusive, the 2006 Nintendo DS game, Blackjack Hanotori Hin, developed by R and D Department Two, who did uh, Valkyria Chronicles, and Genkai, Genkai is that how you say their name? So Genki, yeah. So they did. Four oh, games. Wow! Did you you ever heard about uh, Blood Will Tell? I'm looking at the prices of it. It's it's rare. It's really <laughs> rare, and that's why it's rare because nobody's ever heard of it. <laughs> I mean, now I'm gonna. I just have to ask you, what did Gungrave? Where does that fall? Because I remember buying that game. It's made by Red, Red Entertainment, and I think it was funded by Sega. But like the IP is owned by I think a no, Red Entertainment themselves. So like there's an anime base okay. on it. So yeah, and Red Entertainment also made the Sakura War games, I think. But yeah, so they made four uh, Tezuka production games. 
Uh, I think the Blackjack one is actually the most underrated one. It was on, That's the only one that didn't make it to outside of Japan. And it's kind of like hmm. a uh, rhythm game, but you're doing surgeries instead of dancing. Because hmm. uh, he's the master surgeon. I don't know if you know what Black... Have you ever seen Blackjack or Manga? Or, okay. No, no, not at all. I think if you see a picture of him, you'll know who he is. He's the one with the scarred face. With the black hair. I'm sure if you look up Blackjack and uh, Manga, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I've seen this guy before. But, um, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, I recognize him. Yeah. So this license was pretty unique with Sega because they kind of did this whole thing where they would put a Sega studio and then also have a third party, uh, like a, a different developer do all the heavy lifting while Sega kind of oversaw, like the Sega teams would oversee the development. Um, you think having this kind of mindset would have helped Sega kind of make the Marvel games more popular? Like if a Japanese team was dictating the direction these games would go. But I mean, at the, also at the same time, I mean, I don't know, like Marvel seems pretty hands-on, right? Yeah, well, you know, I I think it would be difficult with the Marvel license just because even though this was very early on in the MCU before the MCU was really a solid thing. Mm. Um, I feel like even then Marvel would probably want to have Western studios so that they could have them under, you know, complete understanding of the direction and, and all that uh, to go with the games. Um, but I would have loved to see uh, a Japanese studio handle something like that because like in the genesis days we would see, see stuff like we did our episode on ghostbusters mm. and that's like a japanese studio making a basically like a 1984 comedy into an action game you know like that's that's wild um and yeah i mean it, it's not like japanese studios are perfect and western studios are are not I just feel like more often than not, when those things happen, the Japanese studios make a better game. <laughs> I just think that like Sega themselves, as like uh, they they have these like legacy studios with so much time making arcade mm. games that they know what will work before these new studios. Like when they did the Marvel license, a lot of the studios that were making those games were all like new studios, and I felt like having like it's kind of like how. Um, Sonic 2 was developed by STI. Like, of course, they had to have older developers come in and tell them how you design a Sonic game, right? Or is it Sonic right. CD? Or Sonic CD was the Japanese one. I'm confused. Yeah, that was Japanese. Yeah. But, um, <clears throat> so I don't know. I, Marvel's weird. I mean, it was probably going to fail. I, I've been noticing that, like, the, the new Marvel games also have a lot of issues, like that Avengers game. So maybe it's just Marvel. Oh my god, for some reason the NDI always screws up your picture. I think it doesn't like you, dude. But okay, let's talk about, before we get to, into the history of Tezuka Productions trying to make games and failing, I actually took out most of the games they failed at, but let's talk about the creator behind Astro Boy, Osamu Tezuka, who is considered the god of manga and often compared to Walt Disney. He was a big fan of Walt Disney, so I mean, I think he would love. I think he called himself the Japanese Walt Disney. I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> he, uh, he started the manga revolution in Japan all the way back in 1947 with his release of New Treasure Island, and uh, would work in in the industry until his death in 1989. He got he died from stomach cancer. 
Um, I, here's a if you look at the the this list I they put together of the top his top mangas that are not Astro Boy because I mean that's kind of his like uh, I think that's what he's known more the most for kind of like Disney uh, Walt Disney's probably known the most for Mickey Mouse. He uh, he was known for uh, Astro Boy. So the first one is Kimba the White Lion, and honestly, this is the first thing I ever saw of Tezuka because uh, they used to do reruns of it, like in those like weird WB channels, and I used to watch it and be super into it. But then I think I liked it because I liked Lion King, and like I didn't put two and two together that they were kind of the same thing. But I really enjoyed mm-hmm. it. I thought it was cool. I had a cool intro. It's basically a, a cub whose family is killed in route to to the zoo before being ship, shipwrecked in in Arabian Peninsula. So you know it it, it is like Lion King, whatever. It, it's good. I enjoyed it. Have you ever seen Kimba the White Lion? I've seen bits of it. Yeah, I've I've probably seen more like YouTube documentaries talking about the oh. similarities to Lion King and how like some debunking. Like that Disney actually copied it. I mean, who knows? I mean, Dennis the Menace. Did you ever hear about that? How no. Dennis the Menace um, debuted within a week in America with a Dennis the Menace in Europe, like the same week, and neither creator knew that the other one was making a Dennis the Menace. And it's a little boy with a striped shirt who causes trouble. Like, <laughs> you know, like weird stuff happened. So. I don't know, but yeah, it for what it is, it's it's cool. Um, yeah, it's probably the most notable one I've known of his work outside of Astro Boy. Uh, have you ever seen Metropolis? That's the next one. The mo- Yeah, there's a the, movie. The anime. Yeah, there's an anime. Uh, I've and seen there's the a live movie. action. I've seen the live action like classic movie, but not the anime. Okay, it's just about a girl that's looking for her parents, and in the end, she finds out she's like an a- an android. So it's like a precursor course, to Asteroid. Yeah. Astro Boy. There's uh, Prince's Night, which is, this is more for teenage girls, but like, they didn't really talk, they only talk about how like, uh, it's a young princess that tries to inherit the throne and becomes a man to try to trick everyone. But like, there's some chapters in Prince's Night when I was looking at the characters that are like demons, she meets Satan. So they, you know, Japanese people would use Christian like demonology as like children's cartoon back in the day because I don't think they kind of understood how it's perceived in America for children, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's Apollo's Song, which is considered one of the darkest works. I haven't read it yet, so I I try not to get spoilers because I I actually kind of want to go back and read some of his work because I kind of like his art style. Aoki, Aiko? I don't know how you say this, but I really like the colors they used on this uh, uh, manga. Is apparently it's a political book, so uh, hopefully he's on the right side of history on this one. Blackjack, hmm. which I think is pretty popular as a character, you see him a lot of places. Not a lot of people know who he is, but he's basically a, a talented surgeon. Uh, but yeah, he uh, he hates bureaucratic uh, regulations, so there's some political tones here on government and all that, whatever. But I, I haven't seen too much Blackjack. But I, I will say this is the funniest one right here. Message to Adolf. I'll, I'll read the thing. Message to Adolf is set before, during, and after World War II and centers around three men 
each named Adolf, one of them being Hitler, another being a Jewish man, and the third being a half-German, half-Japanese man. The story follows Japanese reporter who lies becomes intertwined with the three men. I never met anyone named Adolf, so the fact that this is about three of them, poof. Hmm. Bad name, I guess. He did one on Buddha, which is kind of like a retelling. Um, oh, yeah. You know what? You know about the Buddha? I had I had a teacher in school um, who taught Asian... Um, Asian art. He was in at college, and he collected the full series of those, like the like the ultimate, like the super mm, nice, yeah, bound books. And I remember visiting his off his office a lot uh, and asking to look at them. They were so cool. They were so nicely done, and I almost like considered buying it. It was just so such a cool collection. Um, man, yeah. Dororo, which yeah. uh, we talked about, you know, uh, Sega made a game of it. But as you could tell, Sega really uh, took liberties with the art style. I don't know, like the art style for this compared to the Sega game is totally different. Uh, he's more, it's, yeah. it's, it's not cartoony like this. But yeah, it's about a samurai lord making a deal with a demon that grants him the victory on battlefield and, and prosperity to his land in exchange the demon takes numerous organs from the Lord's newborn son, and they try to get him back. So, uh, I don't know. what that, I mean, that's pretty morbid. And wow. then Phoenix. This one is actually the weirdest. So, he actually worked on this throughout his whole life. He started in 1954, and he finished it abruptly in the 80s because he died from stomach cancer. Wow. But the story takes place in... So, every. Every arc is a different time period in space, uh, following people that are trying to find the Phoenix so they can grant them immortal life and resurrection. And so it's kind of has to do with like time, uh, perception of time, uh, you know, life and death. So uh, that's considered his most prolific work because he spent so long on it. Um, I, I've never read it, but uh, it looks kind of like cheesy when you look at the bird. But then I looked at the other art, and it's just like spacemen. Like it seems like this is like the mythical bird, and that's what it looks like. But yeah, wow. So it did seem. Oh wait, I'm in the wrong spot. So before Tezuka Productions was like a thing. He actually he actually worked for Toei Animation, where he produced Akazam the Great, Arabian Nights, and Doggy Walk, which all gave me uh, uh, all his movies with Toei were very like rip off of Disney. Like Doggy Walk reminded me of Lady and the Tramp kind of a thing. Um, he also did a bunch of experimental films while he was at Toei Animation, trying to experiment with low budget filmmaking and animation. Uh, he also did numerous. Uh, num uh, he also did. Uh, he also left and created his own studio after a disagreement with Toei, called Mushi Productions, where he debuted his first show right here. Uh, here's Mushi Productions, the the building. He debuted Astro Boy, and Galaxy Boy Troop. Uh, both. Okay, so Galaxy Boy Troop was actually interesting because he used puppetry instead of animation. Uh, while Astro Boy was uh, just black and white animation. Um, hmm. 
He also uh, worked with uh, overseas companies, and he made one of the most iconic... They animated one of the most iconic films. I think you know this film, too. The Christmas classic, yeah. Frosty the Snowman. I think everyone that that grew up in America has seen this film when they were a kid. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. they're, they're, people are forced to... Like the president forces people to show kids this film. It's a requirement <laughs> to growing up in America. Uh, right. So it seems that Tezuka would come up with unrealistic... So the Mushi studio, his first studio, fell apart because uh, he would just take like the cheapest contracts just to get back at Toei and say, we'll do it for cheaper. And, uh, and, and so they had to file for bankruptcy in 1973. So uh, you've hmm. seen Frosty the Snowman. Um, what's, your, <laughs> I mean, what's your opinion on Frosty the Snowman? Did you know it was like animated by a Japanese studio that got paid in like paper towels i mean i didn't i didn't know the ins and outs of that uh part of the production but i definitely knew it was japanese animated you could i mean at a certain point when you're a kid you start to realize like there's certain episodes of like animaniacs or adventures of sonic the hedgehog that just look better Mm. and almost look like anime (laughs) um in this one's case it most definitely looked like 1970s japanese animation um Another one that comes to mind is the uh, the Hobbit. Mm. Um, that was another one uh, from Rankin Bass that uh, was most definitely Japanese. I actually found the um, the vinyl for it. It has some really awesome art inside. Um, but again, it's like these these Western properties that are outsourced to Japan, and just they're so cool. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> they I, I do such a great it. job. Yeah, because. Um, yeah. There's a, a thing about Astro Boy that it's always reminded me of, like, the West meets the the East kind of thing. Like, they copied ideas from the West, made it uniquely Japanese and sci-fi, and them animating some sort of classic that every American grew up with and sang the Frosty the Snowman song. It's, uh, it's pretty right. fulfilling. It's kind of like uh, the circle coming back, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, I, this is where I think Tezuka is kind of, like slimy i mean you could tell me because it seemed like he knew mushi studio was already going to be done because and he left in 1968 they didn't go bankrupt until like five years after and and he started his own tezuka productions who is still around and the reason sega got the license so i i don't know to me it seemed like he was probably funneling money he's like hey guys uh nbc gave us a ten thousand dollars to do the frosty the snowman animation and then he's like sticking twenty thousand dollars into his other studio while he's funding it in the in the side that's what i want to think that's what i would think Mm. because it's like you have a studio for five years and the other one's going bankrupt Mm, weird that's interesting yeah so so under tezuka productions they would go on to relaunch the anime uh this time astro boy would be in color and he would actually go back and reuse the 1963's animation and then just do recolors on them. Hmm. But Tezuka wasn't ha- wasn't a happy with the 1963 anime, so he actually went in and rewrote a lot of the like characters and like the plot points and made it more action based and darker. Uh, Tezuka uh, considered the 1980s take on the characters as a rebirth. Especially since it wasn't released outside of Japan. So the 1980 series would... Here in America, they actually aired it on ABC. Um, hmm. 
this is probably like I think a lot of people. This is probably the height of popularity for Astro Boy was uh, probably be. I mean, before we were born, <laughs> would be the the height of the animation for the character, right? So, uh, right. did you ever see the 1980s Astro Boy anywhere? Like on like you know TV reruns? Because I did, um, I didn't, I didn't. So I'm not going to blame you if you didn't. I don't recall ever seeing it. That's why it kind of surprises me. I mean, I've I watched quite a lot of TV back then, but I never, no, never. And it's a uh, never this, ran into it. The, I've seen pictures of it. You know, when you go on stuff, when they talk about animation and stuff. But like you, yeah. I didn't see it. I don't know if it was just short lived. They did talk about how they did night. ABC did reruns until the nineties. They must have been really, really early. Um, I used to be one of the kids that used to like look for anime everywhere, right? Like you would flip the channels to those obscure channels you could barely get with your antenna because you know they right. might have an anime. Yeah. So um, <laughs> Astro Boy would basically live as a as reruns until 2003. And this is the era of Sega's Astro Boy Omega Factor, which was released in, with the 2003 rebooted anime of Astro Boy. At this time, it was to uh, they were both released to uh, celebrate 40 years of uh, Astro Boy animation uh, with a anime, the manga, and of course the games by Sega. Uh, okay, um, did you know it was the 40th anniversary when this? Because like they didn't, you know, when you see packages of Sega stuff right. when they do the like, oh, this is the X amount anniversary. They have a logo. They make it like really knowing on the box art that there's an there's they're celebrating the anniversary. This game had right. nothing. There was no logo. I even looked it up online. There's no 40th anniversary logo. It's like... I think that doesn't fall on Sega, though. I'd feel like no, that would fall no. on the Tezuka holder. So if they're not providing the logos, then Sega doesn't have the asset. They're not going to... It's not their brand. But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm certain that if they provided a logo, they definitely would have used it. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm saying it's Tezuka Productions. It's like they kind of... Um, Failed. Drop the ball on the yeah they dropped the ball yeah for sure like branding is the number one thing that goes with uh, anniversaries and they didn't brand it correctly like the anime I didn't even yeah. know the anime was anniversary I will say like with the Sonic 30th anniversary I feel like a lot of the things coming out of it look like Sonic Generations anniversary stuff and I feel like they could have gone a little different route with um the Sonic 30th anniversary, like there's these art prints out right now. And I was looking at them like, those look cool, but like they look like something that should have come out <laughs> with Sonic generations, <laughs> you know, like 10 years ago or something. But I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least there was a logo for it and the Sega in the ghost Sega. I thought that was a pretty sick logo for the 60th anniversary. Very smart. Yeah. That was which, cool. Yeah. Which is funny because remember people were complaining on Twitter. They're like, is it Go Sega or Sega 60 Sega or whatever? It's like, I can't tell the difference. It's like, uh, it's supposed to be both. It's, a, it's supposed to be like a yeah, play on right. the logo. But um, so let's talk about the previous games. It's funny because like uh, Astro Boy Omega Factor is actually, if you go on Wikipedia and you look up Astro Boy games, it's, it says mm -hmm. it's the first Astro Boy game, even though it's not true. Because there was actually a 1988 Famicom game published by Konami and developed by Home Data. Then we got they got another one on um, this time on the Super Nintendo, uh, published by Ben Ban Presto, 
and developed mm. by Zamus, Super Nintendo. <laughs> I mean, Super Famicom, whatever. It's the same thing. They're the same console. I, I like the name Famicom, though. It kind of grew up, on, it grew on me instead of Super Nintendo. I don't know why. Um, another rarely talked about game. We think that Omega Factor is a first Sega game. What about this one, dude? What's this? What is this? <laughs> Astro Boy Columns released in 1999 for the Game Boy Color. What? Okay, I didn't actually. I actually did not know this existed. When I saw this, I was like, "Oh, wait, is this why?" And it's made by Media Factory, which uh, is the same person that did the Sakura Tyson Columns games for the Game Boy. Which right. there's a translation by fans on that one. This one I don't think has a translation by fans, but. Uh, we talked a lot about puzzle clones when we on our Puyo Puyo episode, which also had a lot of uh, clones. But this seems like this was licensed. I mean, that's literally columns, and there is a Super Nintendo columns by uh, Media Factory too, and it's literally just columns. Like I looked up, it's like the graphics columns. So like, huh. why do you think Sega would outsource? their columns video games to other consoles like do they even own the licensing i think they do right they make shirts yeah i must have just been money they saw that they could make money in licensing it out but it is a weird thing to license out in a it's kind of like crazy castle you know what i mean like like bugs like 10 different characters had a crazy castle game and it's like an okay puzzle game and here we are with columns having like Sakura Tyson and um, Astro Boy, and it's an okay puzzle game. That is very... I guess if it's okay, people aren't, like, precious about it. It's not like, oh, this is Tetris. We're not letting this one get away. Um, yeah, Tetris is, like, a bigger brand, like... Right. I will say that, like, um, I do like puzzle games on uh, on um, handhelds. Like, probably one of my most played Switch games is uh, Luminous. Cause uh, I got it on there and, and it's they're super addicting. Like I still get addicted to them, even though I suck. So uh, there was a big demand back then for Game Boy Color games. So I mean Game Boy um, puzzle games because of Tetris. So I could see why they did that. As you can see, okay, these games were actually Japanese exclusives. So technically, uh, Astro Boy Omega Factor is uh, is actually the first worldwide release Astro Boy game. I will say there's two games. There was supposed to be an NES Kimba the White Lion game, which is not that interesting. It was supposed to be made by, um, what's that company called? Um, I forgot what the company was called. Oh, Taito. They made a lot of good games back in the in the old days, but there was one interesting game that never got made. There was supposed to be a Kimba the White Lion game on the Nintendo 64 that was supposed to be like Zelda, but you play as Kimba. Oh, wow. And there's actually screenshots of it online. Uh, it was supposed to be for the direct drive, which is that add-on that only came out in Japan. But it was canceled because Miyamoto said that the son of Tezuka didn't know how to make video games. And he made him make the game. It's like Miyamoto's like, I have no time to make this game. You make the game. Here's the money. And they never got it out. So it was delayed. So I- I'm assuming that's... that's- I'm assuming that's why Sega was like, oh, we should pick up this license now that it's free since the uh, Kimba the White Lion game never got made. But uh, so outside of uh, Japan, I think a lot of people would say Omega Factor is the first game they ever played of Astro Boy. 
Oddly enough, if you look at, uh, yeah, yeah, it's listed. Uh, while it seems that Sega Japan was all over the deal, Sega of America actually de- delayed the game by six months before releasing it as they wanted to see the reception of the TV series in America. During that time, Treasure would work on the game more, fixing issues uh, and making Astro Boy Omega Factor in English the best one compared to the Japanese for release. Uh, so growing up, I used to envy Japanese Japan because they would always get games early, but do uh, but some developers actually do spend more time localizing titles and fixing bugs, most notably Sonic Adventure. Uh, how do you feel about waiting more for a complete game? I think like now that we're older, it's probably easier, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that it's kind of always been a thing though with Japanese consoles when. I mean, back in the day, it would be like a year and a half before it reaches uh, the United States. Now it's almost simultaneous um, release. I just can't imagine them like having the PlayStation Five available for like eighteen months before oh, <laughs> America yeah. gets it. But remember that? But yeah, back in the day, like we—I don't think we were aware that they were doing bug fixes. Like, I don't think we mm-hmm. knew that the 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 Sonic we were playing on the Genesis was better than the master or the mega drive one. Um, but I guess that, that is the per the benefit of waiting is that you get a, a little bit better game. I've never played the Japanese Sonic adventure. I do want to check it out. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, you know, like you said, like today it's not a thing. It doesn't really even matter. I think that would be outdated because of patches. You could just patch a game and then later on you still play the complete version um so that's, that's a good true. thing but back then no patches so we would have we would get what we got on the cart um so while we talked about the history of astro boy past games we haven't touched on the story of the franchise so astro boy as a character has a long history dating all the way back to 1951 where he started as a supporting character on a- captain adam that's what it was called. They had to change the name because uh, there's an, two superhero characters called Captain Adam and would later mm. become his own thing. There is more than one origin story and it's what makes Omega Factor so interesting since Hitmaker and Treasure kind of try to like incorporate multiple stories of the character into one game. Um, but since we're talking about the 2003, this is basically here. I mean, the 2003 anime was basically the 80s anime, like pretty much the adapted version. And if uh, do you want to uh, read the story? I mean, it's you could just skimp through it, I guess. But like, just the beginning of it, uh, the second par, the second paragraph. Do you see the the thing? Um, yeah, I'm looking at it's. Uh, is this written by an anonymous person? Yeah, it's yeah, it's, <laughs> it's written by uh, me actually. Um, I'll, I'll yeah, I'll read like the first few sentences here. Yeah. So, um, he's a youthful robot boy modeled after the deceased son of research <laughs> scientist Dr. Tenma, uh, intended to be kept a secret. He was an atomic powered robot um, who becomes a reluctant superhero and fights for justice and peace among humans and robots alike. Uh, they live in Metro City, which is like a futuristic society with humans and robots. Uh, his creator is the head of the Ministry of Science, and he builds Astro in his son's image. Um, Astro will never fill the void left by his son. And so what does he do? Oh, wow. He b- shuts down Astro and burns down the Ministry of Science and flees. And then sometimes later, 
Uh, Astro is discovered by Dr. O'Shea, the new head of the ministry, and he takes Astro and serves as his mentor. Um, I think that's pretty big. They, they become friends, right? Yeah, yeah. and like he's like the, the, the stepdad. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing about like losing your son and then making a robot <laughs> that resembles your son, that's pretty morbid for a kid's show, wouldn't you say? I would, and I will say, um, I recently watched the Star Wars Visions on Disney Plus, oh, yeah. which are Japanese animation studios. There is a short in there that is most definitely Astro Boy based, not just visually, but it's, um, I mean, I guess spoiler, but. It's this guy who builds this droid, and it turns out that the guy is a Jedi in hiding, and so you can kind of guess that the robot is based on his his Padawan, who is probably killed by the Empire, and so he creates this like Jedi robot boy in his uh, his former Padawan's image. It's pretty cool. I actually have it on a poster over there. It's, it's off frame, but... Yeah, I really like that that miniseries. I hope they do more. The stories are really good. Some, of, uh, I think, all of them. After I was done, I was like, I hope they make a series based on this. It was weird. It was like first it was Ronin, and I was like, oh, they saved the best in the beginning. This is gonna be a, uh... and then it just got <laughs> right. even better. And like it just was interesting, like just such interesting different takes each time. It was weird, but I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, that so the story. So while the game uses a similar plot to, to the obviously Astro Boy, since it is an Astro Boy game, uh, it also uses a time travel plot from the movie Unders- Undersea Super Train Marine Express. Uh, interestingly, <coughs> interestingly enough, to get the complete ending in this game, you have to play the game twice. So you have to go through it twice, giving you a different story yeah. the second time you play it. First uh, playthrough is called Birth. And the second playthrough is called Rebirth. Uh, Near Automatic, Automatica or Automata, I don't know how you say it, it is uh, a critically acclaimed game. It kind of has like an extreme version of this because it has 26 mm-hmm. endings. But you also have to play the game multiple times to get the actual ending. But there's still like four endings in that game. It's ridiculous. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like uh, Outrun where they have A, B, C, D, and E in the end. You know what I mean? Oh, and or, paths. or Shadow. Yeah. Or Shadow, there you go. It's yeah. Near is basically just Shadow the Hedgehog. So, uh, what's your opinion on uh, giving you uh, a different story by replaying a game uh, with the same levels the uh, second time? The game's not that long, so it's not that big of a deal for this. But like, how about if like Sonic no. the Hedgehog did something like this, where you beat it once and then it's like Knuckles would be the boss next time? Oh, I see. I, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I, I kind of like the idea of older games when they'd say like, oh, the game repeats and then you get this new ending, you know, or something like that. Like, that's always fun. It helps with replayability. I think I have a problem, though, when like uh, massive 3D games will force you to replay the game four times in order to like see a special ending. Like, Thank God no. for YouTube. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, I know. Nier is right. ridiculous. It's like... The idea is the same thing here where like – so it's called – the first playthrough is called Birth and the other one's Rebirth and it's supposed to be kind of a play on words because, you know, they rebirthed the anime. So they did the same kind of thing where Astro Boy dies right. and he comes back. Um, so in automat- uh, on Nier, it's also kind of the same idea of the story. You're playing an android who has lost memories and you came out coming back and it's like this mm. – I don't want to spoil the game so – 
it has a good story. You could look at all the endings on the internet, on YouTube, so you don't have to spend 15 hours. But uh, let's talk about the obviously the most obvious part. Astro Boy is highly influenced by Walt Disney's Pinocchio, uh, especially the 1940 film. Well, that's the one they did, right, Disney? Uh, based on the character, which uh, yeah, you know, I can't even be- I can't believe that Pinocchio came out in 1940. So I'm actually shocked. Oh, it can't. I mean. The story itself is even older. Older, yeah, it's a folklore. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying the adaptation is what he uh, was probably influenced the most by. He was a big Walt Disney fan. Um, people called and if you. Oh no! Go, go, go on, ahead. Go, no, go on, go on. You can finish it. I was just gonna say if if you want some like amazing animation, the um the water animation at the end of Pinocchio, it's insane. Like jump on like Disney Plus so you can get like that HD. Uh, and just like watch it, freeze frame it if you can. But it's just it's insane how detailed the water is. It's like a Japanese, like uh, ancient Japanese painting come to life. It's just it's wild. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Disney Plus really makes me appreciate these like old Disney animations. I like put on the other day the Goofy movie, and I was just <laughs> yeah. in, I was just impressed at how clear it was. Like the last time I saw it, it was. V- uh, Dinky VHS tape. Now it's so crisp. The color's so vivid. I'm like, God, kids these days are spoiled, man. But yeah, mm-hmm. great, mm-hmm. great. Uh, people called Astro Boy an interesting reimagining of an older character, you know, Pinocchio, that would appeal to new kids right. during his time because he was cute. He had a cute design and he had sci-fi themes, which were really popular in the 60s, instead of an old wooden doll. Uh, did you know Pinocchio was animated all the way back in the 1940s? Uh, and uh, both stories actually have really dark undertones. Uh, how do you view them differently as an adult? Um, yeah, I most definitely knew Pinocchio was uh, animated back in the 40s. It was one of my dad's favorite movies. Well, I think it still is one of his favorite animated Disney movies. Um, so I watched it at a very young age. My dad had uh, quite a few like art books. Um about the production of the movie. And when I was in college, I actually did write a term paper on um, the history of Pinocchio, the um, Carlo Collodi original book. Um, I believe one factoid I came across was that at one point, more cop, the Pinocchio was translated into more languages than the Bible, I think, which is kind of insane. Um, And uh, I also um, wrote a lot about the movie AI, Artificial Intelligence, um, from Steven Spielberg, which was from a, um, oh man, I'm blanking on his name, 2001 Space Odyssey director. Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick's original vision. That's, I I love that movie. I think it's a fantastic movie. And um, yeah, it's just the Pinocchio story in general. It's just such a fascinating the story itself is is great, but then it's just so fascinating to see how many times it was adapted and how different different takes. Uh, what, what was that one movie that came out recently that people want to have a sequel for about the girl who's a robot fighter and then she's like in a rollerball mm. game? Um, I can't. It was uh, Robert Rodriguez uh, re, uh, directed it. I just don't remember the name. Um, right. But, like, that's another, you know, something that's derived from Pinocchio. So it is a, it's a genre 
basically pinocchio <laughs> you <Yeah>. know it's <laughs> um, and and i'm actually really looking forward to the live action one coming out with tom hanks playing geppetto because i i was thinking he's too young and i'm like wait tom hanks is old now <laughs> yeah yeah he <laughs> <You> is <know? laughs> i saw him in a movie recently he so, had that apple tv movie i saw it where he's like uh he has a robot or is that tom hanks or is that the other guy Oh, no, that's, that's Tom, Tom Hanks. Hanks. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I saw that one. It had really interesting art direction, but um, I will say that uh, I was gonna put AI in the in the notes because mm-hmm. uh, apparently Stanley Kubrick asked uh, the creator to be an art director for 2001: The Space Odyssey, and he and he turned him down. That was kind of an interesting little yeah. factoid I didn't put in here, but I There's did read an uh, amazing history behind that book or that movie. Oh, yeah, I know. AI. Oh. Yeah, um, but I heard it was based on another story, and I looked up the story, and the story is pretty correct to what they adapted. But I'm pretty sure the guy that wrote this short story in Britain was probably a, a fan of uh, Pinocchio and this, right? Right, and well, in the movie AI, the boy, uh, David, hears the story of Pinocchio, and then he's, he thinks he needs to find his blue fairy that- to become real, so... That that movie yeah. was like critically like panned right when it came out. Like I enjoyed it as a kid. I mean, when it came out, like when I watched it, it was fifty. I feel like it was fifty fifty. I feel like some people complained about there being too many endings. But the thing is, the movie has one ending, and the ending is the ending to the movie. <laughs> so I don't really know what they're talking about. But what, the, I I will defend that movie to the death. I love that movie. That's cool art direction too. I really like the carnival scene um i will say that um mm-hmm. i think the biggest gripe with people was that they kind of like uh, softened the ending i think in the short story he just mm-hmm. gets left in the cut co- he just gets left alone and he doesn't have anyone and that's the end it's way grimmer and then this one they kind of allude to the fact that there was a blue fairy right that he gets it finally no they he so i mean this is Maybe becoming the ai show but yeah, i will yeah, say yeah, yeah. Sorry. He, he um he gets discovered by futuristic ai and they create an artificial intelligence of what he saw as his mother mm. and he received one final day with her and then once he felt like he was he had accomplished what he had set out to do he basically dies in the end so like he he but they allude to the fact that he dreams for the first time which it makes would it even be darker. like right he would be the first artificial intelligence to not only die but dream and go to like some form of heaven so yeah it's and I mean, but going back to Astro Boy, like you talk about all this stuff and you just kind of get so excited for the concept of it because this, I mean, I think at its core, it's about humanity and the simulation of humanity and, and trying to a- a- attain it. And I don't know how far Astro Boy went with its stories, but I can imagine you could explore a lot of different, really interesting things. Uh, especially what makes a human human right like i think with an android that's a different question than like a wooden puppet which was more magic based this is more science based so it makes it more realistic so yeah it's an interesting take but let's talk about the gameplay i have a gameplay video Mm. Uh, yeah um so uh, oddly enough this game came out around this uh, before Gunstar Superheroes was created, which uh, we did a whole episode on, like I said before. Um, uh, we noted that Gunstar Heroes, like the Gunstar Superheroes was more mini games, like I said in the beginning. 
that pays tribute to mm-hmm. past Sega stuff. This one's more straightforward combat and straightforward levels. Uh, it actually shares similar gameplay to uh, Gunstar Heroes, the original, more like because it has like punching, shooting, um, and then you have like a bar that you could fill it, and then you get two special moves. It's like super. You get a laser instead of a gun though, and you can't switch mm. guns like Gunstar Hero. That would have been pretty cool, like having different types of weapons. Um, but you also get the super laser attack when you get your gauge filled up, and the and the machine gun attack. Um, Kind of like Dynamite Heady, this game also has like some shoot 'em up levels where you're up in the sky to make it, uh, to kind of like move, change the gameplay around. I will say graphically and gameplay wise, uh, I consider this one, one of the best action games on the Nintendo D, uh, GBA. Uh, and that's not, that's mm-hmm. not really saying much though, because I, can you really think of that many, uh, side scrolling action games? They're, they're like treasure type, like, I'm trying to think of some that are not, not by treasure that are good. Not by treasure. Treasure was pretty much the ultimate. Yeah. Yeah. On the, on the handheld. For sure. So, um, so Astro Boy Omega Factor is more bread and butter of what treasure is known for. While there are other releases like Gunstar Superheroes really try changing and like the gameplay, especially every level. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> like how much time they spend on changing level gameplay on Gunstar Superheroes, I can only imagine. So what's your preference? Just changing the gameplay, making it feel fresh every level? Or do you also like these kind of like, it's uh, like Gunstar Heroes, it was pretty straightforward, right? It's a, you move side to side, switch weapons, kill everything on screen. It's like they're right. both... Yeah, I mean, I always... I always like to compare things to Sonic. And so when I think of that, I think of how Sonic 1 and 2 are more like base, not, I don't want to call them basic, but definitely not like a gimmick or gameplay switch up heavy um, sort of games like uh, Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles were, or especially Sonic Mania. Like I love Sonic Mania, but when I sit back and look at that compared to like Sonic 1 or 2, I gravitate to Sonic 1 and 2 just because... In Sonic Mania, I'll get to a stage and I'm like, right, this is the one where you like mix liquids to make them more bouncy, and you're doing that a lot, and it's fun. But sometimes you just you just want to do what the game does, you know what I mean? Rather oh, yeah. than stop and learn some new gimmick, and it becomes essential. I think the the ultimate Sonic game that does that is Sonic Four, where it's almost like this is the this is the stage where. This one gimmick will happen again and again and again, you know. I, uh, yeah. you know, I can see both ways. Like I, like you said, it depends on how they like do it. I, I do wonder, like, what mm-hmm. mainstream gamers that never played arcade games. Like, I loved Gunstar Superheroes because, like, I'm like, oh, that's Flicky. Oh, you know, that's this game, and I'm like, okay, I can see what's why they changed it, and it's a cool tribute. But like, most normal people are like, what is this? Like, why am I? Uh, playing this whole different gameplay and it's totally different i could see that and it's funny because i feel Mm -hmm. like during this era um treasure was on a nostalgic trip like this one has a bunch of references to a bunch of like manga characters that are pretty obscure to most americans while the the gunstar superheroes was playing tribute to arcade games they grew up with i'm assuming or grew up playing when they were younger (laughs) uh at this point it would be like 15 years some of these games were out so mm-hmm. it's it's cool, but you could tell that they were really into like paying homage to uh, older stuff, which is interesting. 
the game <clears throat> actually has you unlocking a ton of characters, which uh, plays a lot of fan service, like I said, to the creator. But once you collect them, you also get upgrades for each. So it's not like they just uh, give you uh, characters just to have them there. So when you unlock them, you'll be able to power up a move. They put it, you could either choose more life, more punch power, a better laser, uh, the machine gun, I think it was called shot. And then there was jets that lets you, uh, I think, do more jumps and flying around the stage. And sensor, which let you see dark spots, you know, when you're on a map and you can't see everything. It gave you better vision. Um, I thought that it was cool that they had the jet feature. So, I mean, it, it, it's cool that they have some up, upgrading. Kind of reminded me of uh, Guardian Heroes, I guess, in a way. But not as in-depth, more basic. Um so one of the biggest things that um let's talk about this this is probably i think my the most interesting part which gives you a more of a taste of his other mangas so one of the biggest things they try to do was squeeze as many characters from uh tezuka's manga and anime as they could most likely because they were probably fans of this stuff growing up and uh so it's kind of a like a really stark contrast to the sonic team game which was basically like Hey, look, we finished the game. Give us some money. Part of yeah. uh, part of this was done as rewards, as we said. So let's get into the character cameos. So the game had 38 character cameos. Obviously, we don't have time to talk about all of them. So I picked some of the ones I actually liked and wanted to talk about. So the first one, they so the first one we're talking about is the Amazing Three, which is also known as W3 and Wonder Three, is a manga uh, release in the 60s. Following the adventure, uh, the adventures of three agents from outer space who are sent to Earth to determine if they should destroy the planet or not. The amazing three consist of a rabbit, a horse, and a duck who befriend a kid, <laughs> and they go on adventures. So I, I like the wow. I like the whole idea that like aliens are coming here and they're like, oh my, like kind of like Toe Jam and Earl or whatever, where it's like these humans are strange, and it's like, bro, you're a duck, a rabbit, right. and a horse. What are you doing? That's great. But um, the next one is uh, Rainbow Parakeet <laughs> is a manga series about a phantom thief who is a genius actor as well. Usually his grift is that he's hired to replace uh, actors, but during his amazing performances, he steals from the wealthy. Um, you can see some of the influence and in, like uh, the phantom thieves in uh, Persona 5. So like... They also have that mask. Um, I, I would say, like, I'm sure they watched this anime before they made Persona 5. But uh, same thing. You steal people's hearts in Persona 5, though. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, I like the art style on this. I like his blue hair. It kind of looks like a uh, Twitter Karen, kind of, you know, that complains to you a little <laughs> bit. Uh, right, right. Um, the next one is Hecate. Hecate. This is a female character from that manga Prince's Night that we talked about, uh, which is was a big hit with female re readers and actually spawned two radio dramas, a 52-episode animated series, and even stage musicals. Prince's Night really touches on the occult, even having an encounter with Satan. Hikate is a, de a demonic shapeshifter, shifting witch, who is helped by Sapphire to become good and foil her father's evil's plans. She's a side character. She's in it. She's just like this, like, really reminds me of, like, the lead character of Sailor Moon in design. She's blonde. Yeah, I see yeah, that. With the big eyes, everything. 
This is my favorite, though, because it reminds me of cereal from Halloween. Don Dracula. <laughs> uh, the manga started in 1979, which would uh, get an anime adaptation in, te- uh, in 1982, which only ran for eight episodes. The story is about Count Dracula moving to Japan, where he has a son. I thought it was a daughter, but it, I think it's a son. Called Chocola, hmm. Chocola, Chocola, and lives and lives with his servant Igor. Uh, some hmm. weird vibes, like he, okay, so he's going to middle school, and like he doesn't want to drink virgin blood, so it's really hard for him to go to school. But he goes to night school because he's a vampire. But the story is supposed to be kind of like a slapstick humor at, of vampires trying to adjust to living in Japan. And like, uh, be like nobody in Japan believes in vampires, so they're like, so that's why they decide to come to Japan. And so it's like them trying that's to funny. trying to like figure out the cultural differences from you know Dracula from the book. So pretty, it's kind of like what we do in the shadows. Exactly, <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, it's like the new <laughs> modern take on Don Dracula. And the yeah, right. And the last one is Phoenix, which uh, we kind of talked about before, but basically this is considered his most prolific work because he took so long to create it. Uh, he did 12 volumes of it, uh, starting in July 1954, all the way until his passing. The last volume came out in 1988. He passed away in 1989. Uh, the series got a live-action film in 1972. I'm sure it's great. Uh, multiple anime films... One in 1980 and the other one in 86, and an OVA anime and a series of animes that span 13 episodes. So, like I said, this series is unique because each arc has different characters and different time periods. So, I haven't read it all, so I can't give you my opinion on it. Um, So, any of these characters, which one seems most, most interesting to you out of the characters you can unlock on here, I guess? Oh, Don Dracula. Really? Like, that's my favorite, too. I was like, the idea that they did, like, a classic uh, horror uh, vampire character in Japan, I just, I like the idea. Yeah. And I like the yeah. the idea of the comedy behind it. But, uh, so, you know, you know what? I have to resize your window every time that you, uh, we move. But, uh, so, how did it all go for Sega, right? So... We know Sega only released two Astro Boy games around the same period. Even uh, even though they bought the license all the way to 2009, their last game was Blackjack on the DS, which came out in 2006. The Astro Boy 2003 anime only had two seasons, and while it was received uh, well by critics, it did not have commercial success, according to Kids WB and Cartoon Network's Toonami Expectations. And Wikipedia even says that when you read the Astro Boy Omega Factor reviews, they even say that the reviewers say, even though the 2003 anime is not popular in America while they're doing reviews, uh, it it really does make it seem that like since the reboot was not a success, uh, that Sega kind of uh, wanted to move away from uh, from making these games. I will say, though, Tezuka Productions did not stop trying to make Astro Boy a thing. So uh, so it's easy why Sega stopped investing money, but Tezuka Productions would continue and make a high-budget CGI movie called, in 2009, just called Astro Boy. Uh, oddly enough, this is actually it came out the same year that Sega's license was expired in 2009. Uh, it was actually a, hum- a huge commercial failure. 
with a budget of $65 million, but only ranking in $45 million. The studio behind the film, um, um, Imagi, would close a year after. So, have you seen the 2009 CGI Astro Boy? Or do you remember this being promoted? Uh, what is your thoughts on 2D properties getting 3D remakes, CGI remakes? Yeah, you know, when you talk about Kids WB showing that anime, I do kind of remember it being on now, but never watching it. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, I think it was a strange decision to make to release it over here because none of us have any nostalgia for it. It, le- it looks like an, a modern show that's trying to look like a classic anime. You know, like almost like a parody. Oh, yeah. And so when you watch it as a kid, you're like, what is this? Like, why are the art styles looking like they're from the 1950s? And I'm sure in Japan, they're like, oh, I love this show. This is the classic Astro Boy. And over here, they're like, huh. The the closest I can think, there was that show called Big Guy and Rusty, the toy robot. You remember that? I had never seen it, no. Oh, okay. So it's, I can't re- it's based, I think, on a... An, a graphic novel or something, but I remember watching that show a lot, and that show is kind of like a, a riff on on Astro Boy. I don't know if it's a parody, but it's definitely like an American-made show that's based on that. And I understood that. I was like, oh, it's like a retro thing going on in the modern day or something like that. But yeah, with the Imagi thing, I've never seen the movie. I remember it being promoted, and I remember seeing the 20, 2007 Imagi um TMNT movie. Did you ever see that? I did. I actually, I mean, there, it had its issues, but I thought they did a pretty good job on it for mm-hmm. what it was. I mean, I, you know, I feel, I have some sort of like nostalgic feelings for the first movie. I think it's like the best TMNT movie ever, like adaptation. So I think deep right. down inside, you know, nostalgia wants me to be like the first one now that I'm an adult, but uh, it was fun for what it was. Um, I, I did see this one and I thought it was just whatever. Like I forgot the plot. Like I, it was just the. I would say I would, I'm gonna assume it was the retelling of the anime, and the manga, but it's right. CGI and more American writing. You know, like CGI films are in, during this era, the jokes and stuff. Um, I don't know. I think it was pretty forgettable. I think a lot of people forgot this movie exists because you never hear anyone talk about it. Um. But I think that's a lot of properties, like manga properties that they've been trying to make. Like Lupin the Third is getting anime projects, but like no one talks about them in America, even though they look pretty amazing. The art style on them, right? So it, it's it's weird. I think there's this weird thing where like Japanese anime is a, like the old stuff is just not catching on in America. Like Demon Slayer and stuff using two D animation seems to be catching on more. So I don't know. It's one of those weird things. I, I would love to see like a movie where it's animated to like the quality of like disney because like all these studios they love disney right they said love to say oh we're big disney fans but they're all super cheap when it comes to animation right so like 1940s uh pinocchio looks better than like almost every anime created like i love akira i love all these like high budget animations but man pinocchio came out in 1940 it's ridiculous like it's just impressive. I mean, it's hard to beat. Um, it's hard to beat them. But um, let's talk a little bit about so the, the the CGI. I mean, the CGI movie 2009 got a video game adaptation called Astro Boy: The Video Game. This was done by High Voltage Studio, which worked on Sega with Sega on the what is it? The what's that? Oh my God! The shooter, the Conduit, the Conduit games on oh, the Wii. Oh yes. 
Uh, Tezuka Productions actually developed, helped develop the games. And Artco LTD did the DS release. The game came out on the PS2. It came out on the PS2, PSP, Wii, and DS. It came out in 2009, but they skipped the PS, the PS3 and the 360, I'm assuming, because too high budget there on HD. Yeah, yeah, that happened a lot. I remember there was an Indiana Jones game I just recently picked up called Staff of Kings, and I was like, what is this on? And it's exactly that. It's PS2, PSP, Wii, and DS. It's... <laughs> God, I'm so glad we're past that. I'm Same. so sick of that era where there would be like three versions of a game. Same. <laughs> you know. Uh, the game obviously uh, got mixed reviews, and I uh, doubt that uh, it had the love and care that Treasure put into Omega Factor. So uh, the, the last time Astro Boy got a game, this is actually the last time that we got a console game for Astro Boy. There's been several wow. mobile games, which I don't care about. Um, so let's not talk about them. So, why do you think it's sometimes hard to resurrect such classic characters? For example, Mickey has kind of moved on from the company with Mickey Mouse. Uh, and they try, they do try to reboot it here and there. And I probably forgot how many reboots they've tried or little animations here and there. What do you think is like the problem? Right. Um, well, for, for Astro Boy, I think they need to reboot it or they need to redesign it or put it give it to someone who likes the character and respects the character, but is not just retelling it again. I think a mistake a lot of Japanese animation studios make is that they are so precious with some of these, like Dragon Ball, for example, like I know it's popular, but like I'll, it's 2021 and I'll be like, Oh, there's a Dragon Ball movie again. I'll read the synopsis and it's like, this takes place during Dragon Ball Z. It's an alternate story that isn't canon and it's a retelling of like this arc. And I'm like, so you are basically remaking something that's been told in in a manga, in the original anime, in a cut down anime, and now it's like a movie version. Like it just, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a cultural thing or what, but they're so precious with their stories to the point where they'll remake it and retell it again and again and again, but with very little differences. I, yeah. If, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. You, they, but... they release like a Dragon Ball Z game a year, and it's always like, this one's the Saiyan saga. I'm like, yeah, I watched this when I was like six. What's going on here? Like, you guys... <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. they do that a lot. And you bring up Mickey. Mickey's actually had a, a renaissance, I feel. Mickey's been doing really well the past ten years because... Why didn't he fight the thing Thanos? Mickey Mouse is when... Where was he in Thanos War? What, what's that? Where was he in Infinity War? I didn't see him. He should have been there with the Marvel characters no. spearheading it. But, but, <laughs> just joking. but, but no, but like when Mickey started, he was like this little rascal, like he would cause trouble. And he was obviously like one of the most popular characters ever. That's how they got their start. And then as time went on, Donald became more popular. Donald had, a, and we've talked about this on our Quackshot show. Donald had more character. He had a, uh, like a, a family of ducks. So it was a little more dynamic. Whereas with Mickey, it was just like he had a girlfriend and like a couple nephews, like not that interesting. Um, but really, it it wasn't until like 2013 when uh, Paul Rudish started doing the new animated shorts that, um, you know, it, it was a drastic redesign. Mickey was like a jerk. Like he would he's really mean in them, but it's kind of funny. 
And they had a new voice actor um, just specifically for these shorts because they needed someone who sounded more like Walt Disney. So it's interesting that Mickey became the most successful he's been in decades because they both drastically rebooted him with a brand new design for these new cartoon shorts, but they made him more mischievous like he was 90 years ago. And they cast someone whose voice sounds more like Walt Disney when he first voiced the character. So with that in mind, I I feel like you could have a very successful Astro Boy resurgence if you ditch the history. Like you've you've paid homage to it enough and just tell a new story with a new look that is appealing to modern audiences, but, but pick and choose what works best. And maybe I'm off base here. Maybe they've done that already and it's it's done great but you know i mean if we're just talking animation there's that and if we're talking uh video games i mean approach a studio like treasure platinum games astro boy game could be awesome you know yeah but i don't know if we'd see it yeah i agree um i think it's also like the way movies have been written now is totally different um i think like there's these like i don't know i don't even know how to like there, there has to be so much like move on quick, quick, quick. That's why I've been noticing in a lot of these like more but big budget films. I think we as people just have shorter attention spans, and we're like, give us all the good action stuff right away. No more exposition. Just make a joke here or whatever. Like, it's something I notice. It, it works sometimes good, and it works sometimes like Dune. Most of the characterization is done in a couple of sentences, and they do a good job on there. But they also have like drawn out scenes, right? So. I don't know. It, right. it, it's weird, but let's let's talk about something even better, like this picture right here. So this poster <laughs> on the, if you're watching on the video, I have it next to the art that it's uh, inspired by. Basically, it's you thought Tatsunoko versus Capcom was sick. Well, what about Tezuka's characters versus Capcom? Uh, this is an art poster. This is a, a flyer for an art museum with Capcom and uh, Tezoku characters. Not a video game, but it, this this art is actually based on the uh, Marvel versus Capcom art. They're trying to pay homage to that mm-hmm. art. I really like it. I'm like, oh man, now I want to play this fighting game on the Wii. Why do, why doesn't it exist? Also, they have like newer <laughs> uh, Capcom characters here, as you could tell. Some of them, like the girl from. Uh, Monster Hunters right here. and uh, Yeah, and Phoenix Wright's yeah, there too. Which is uh, really cool. I, and you can see all the characters here on the side of Astro Boy, Dororo, um, Kimba the White Lion. And Mega Man's, Mega Man's shaking hands with Astro yeah. Boy, which is funny because yep. Mega Man has shake, shooken hands with Sonic like back in the 90s. Remember that piece of yeah. art where they're shaking hands? Gotta add this and one. And then Astro Boy was developed by Sega. <laughs> so it's like... They're buddies. Not only that, I mean, Mega Man is is super influenced by Astro Boy. The whole idea of the oh, Android Boy. That's another thing we didn't talk about. Capcom li- wishes they could make Mega Man Astro Boy games. Like, actually, that's a good idea. Why not make a game where it's Mega Man crossing over with Astro Boy, and they like you play as both of them instead of like Mega Man and Zero. It's Mega Man and Astro Boy, and they have like that would be yeah, awesome. Since they Capcom doesn't want to bring back Mega Man, so. Um, Plain uh, Astro... Oh, let me look at the charting that I put up. All right. Plain Astro Boy Omega Factor, in my opinion, is best to stick with an emulator 
or if you really, really want to play it on hardware, I would buy like a EverDrive and load it up with ROMs. Because mm-hmm. the game's more than doubled in value in the last five years, uh, but it's not completely out of reach. So if you're a big fan of Treasure, a big fan of Astro Boy for some reason, um, I would definitely look into buying it now because most likely these games are just going to get even more rare as we go uh, get older. Um, according to price charting, though, a loose copy will be about 65 bucks, complete 104 bucks. And sealed for about two hundred and forty-three dollars. Wow. I don't think anyone buys sealed games, do you? Especially at like no, Game I'm... Boy Advance, right? Yeah, no. like they're too expensive. Waste of I, money. I, not only that, like no one has cardboard. Like, have you noticed that? Like Game Boy Advance games, everyone just threw away their boxes. Now it's more worth more than I game. only have one Game Boy Advance like complete game, and that's uh, Sonic Advance. I don't know where I found it, but it's like I have a, it's just like I hold it and I'm like it's so brittle. I have a few. I have like a uh, Golden Sun, the second one, and I have uh, Gunstar mm. Superheroes, and a, just a couple oh, nice. and a couple of other ones. I don't think the I, I don't think that um, Ash, uh, Gunstar Superheroes is that much complete. I think I saw it last time forty or something. So. Mm. Um, some complete games are actually kind of cheap. I think Sonic uh, Sonic Advance is another one that you could get for a pretty good price, but um, this one right. is not it. I mean, 104 bucks. It's not ideal, but it's not going to kill you either, in my opinion. But uh, it's a good game. But have you? I would play it an emulator though, because like, as much as you love the Game Boy and hardware, the emulate playing it on the TV is pretty cool. I guess you could play it on the Super Game Boy or whatever advanced thing on the GameCube, mm. you know, on hardware. But yeah, yeah. Anything you want to say about Astro Boy Omega Factor before we close it up and read our Patreon memories? Uh, check it out, emulate it if you have to. But it's definitely worth worth playing. I definitely think we will co- cover the Sonic Team one eventually. Oh yeah. There's some real Sonic Team stinkers I want to get to. Oh yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's one of them. So, yeah. Um, as far as Patreon memories, we, we read the big one. Uh, the only other one we have is actually Daniel Andres, who says, All I can really say about this one is that my friend Alex actually did show and tell me about this game. That's really the only memory I have with it. And, and Alex is actually Daniel's friend. So we got two buddies to Patreon pals who are real pals. That's pretty funny. I like that. Good job. <laughs> um, and yeah, so next show, because the holidays are coming up, we will be recording it a little earlier than two weeks from now. So I'm going to slap Share Your Memories up ASAP on the Patreon page for... Drumroll... Alpha Protocol. That will be the next episode and it's a game i have played i haven't played all the way through i have some opinions on it but i'm looking forward to um talking about it with you so yeah episode 86 alpha protocol that will be releasing christmas week so that'll be your christmas gift (laughs) if if you're not a patreon supporter you'll get that on christmas day or christmas eve i think so good gift Uh, Well, that's it for this episode of Sega Talk. See ya. Bye. There we go.
Bye-bye.